Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books and Poetry. I am your host, Jen Fitzgerald. Today's guests are co-editors of the new poetry anthology, Please Excuse This Poem, 100 New Poets for the Next Generation, Viking 2015. It is an exciting collection of pieces that speak to younger folks, maybe even console or inspire them. As part of our interview today, we will feature five poets reading their pieces from the anthology. But first, let me introduce our guests. Brett Fletcher-Lauer is the Deputy Director of the Poetry Society of America, the Poetry Editor of A Public Space, and the author of the collection A Hotel in Belgium. In addition to co-editing several anthologies, including Isn't It Romantic? 100 Love Poems by Younger American Poets, he is the Poetry Co-Chair for the Brooklyn Book Festival and lives in Brooklyn. Lynn Melnick is the author of If I Should Say I Have Hope, Yes, Yes, Books 2012, she teaches at the 92nd Street Y in New York City and is the social media and outreach director for Vita Women in Literary Arts. Her poetry has appeared in the New Republic, the Paris Review, a public space and elsewhere. She has written essays and book reviews for Boston Review, Cold Front, LA Review of Books, and Poetry Daily, among others. Welcome, Lynn and Brett. Hello. Hello. So thank you for having us. Thank you. Oh, thank you for, for coming on. This is a joy. So where did the idea for this uh, book come from? Um, well, I think it's sort of, uh, we, we, as we say in the, um, in the book, it sort of sprung from a lot of conversations we'd had over the years about the role that poetry played uh, in our adolescence and, um, and how important poetry was and how there was no such anthology like this one and how it might be nice to make one. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Lynn and, I, Lynn and I have known each other for a long time, so these conversations have happened over a long period of time. And, and in fact, the book took maybe four years yeah. or so to come together, once from a proposal to the actual publication. So there was, you know, a lot of time to really think about uh, what it would mean to create this kind of book for um, the kids we were Um as teenagers, um, and so it was really kind of a, a pipe dream to see if if we could, and then to see if we could actually find someone who would publish it. Um, and we were lucky <laughs> enough to yeah. find someone, um, and someone like Viking, which has you know a large audience and readership, to to find it. Yeah, it's really sort of a dream come true. It's kind of unbelievable that we got to do this book on this scale. Yeah, yeah. So, what was your relationship as young people to poetry? Brett, would you like to go sure. first? Sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I was very lucky. I have three older brothers. My oldest brother um, went away to college and began sending me books home from college. And it was right around the time when I had begun to write poetry myself, basically stemming from, like, my parents' divorce and kind of um, sadness of being a teenager, I think, which is pretty typical of how probably a lot of people begin to write poetry. Um, but at the same time, I was lucky enough to have 
an older brother who is who is providing me with um, contemporary poets like Sharon Olds or Mark Strand, um, and and who was in a sense taking me serious and saying you're writing poems and here are people who are also writing poems who are alive and um, and maybe you can relate to. Um, so I was very fortunate in that sense to have a kind of nurturing environment to begin writing poetry and and to have someone who was really a funnel to what was happening, funneling me the the news and the information of what contemporary poetry um, was like. Mm. Thank you. What about you, Lynn? Um, well, let me let me think. Um, I'm kind of a fucked up. Kid. Am I allowed to say fucked up? Absolutely. Okay. Um, <laughs> I encourage it. Okay. Um, well, I was kind of a fucked up kid, and um, and I definitely felt um, that poetry is what saved me during those adolescent years um i wrote i always wrote poetry i mean like really bad bad um about you know probably the same stuff i write about now but just i think worse um but finding finding poetry finding poetry books um as a young person definitely changed everything for me and realizing that um poets were people who are alive and actually still like writing right now was kind of a big deal for me. Like it was something that I could do and without it. I don't think I would have probably made it out of those years. So that's my, yeah. And I, would, I would say too, like what's strange in my situation is that I think my first experience of poetry was contemporary poetry. So yeah. I didn't have a kind of, you know, expectation of what, you know, historic like modernist poetry was. It was really what was happening you know, more or less contemporary to me. So I think that was a very good introduction of, of the freedom or the relevance to my life uh, of what the of what work could be. That's a good point because a lot of what's taught in schools uh, is the, you know the, the long dead poets. Yes, and that's I think um, I mean they're great, but I think that's what turns teenagers off to totally. Yeah, I, I've always thought that it should be taught backwards. You should start now and then move to the olden times. Right? I think that's a great idea. Yeah. So you guys ask some great questions and have the poets answer them as part of their bios. So throughout this interview, I'm going to ask you about the most memorable responses to these questions. Um, so what was your favorite answer to the question, what can't you tolerate? Oh, that's a good. That is a good question. Um, I think you know a lot of people. I think overall, what people um, responded to that were things like sexism, racism, the various isms, um, and I would second all of that. Um, <laughs> uh, I I I think I'm, I'm sort of thinking of. Um, the, I, the one that sticks out most to me is um, Idea of Misery. Yeah, um, me too. Right? Like those <laughs> my favorite ones. And I have um, I have three of those. That, um, that what, The one that always sticks to me because it's so true is Shane Book who said, um, not having access to clean drinking water would be the worst. Um and I think that just sort of um, hit me right in the heart because, of course, like how lucky we all are to have water. Yeah. Um, but then there was like the, another one for the uh, misery question was um, um, Mattia Harvey, uh, who said her idea of misery was eating fish soup in a basement. <laughs> so specific, that is great. Right? Like that is, I just, I love that. I, 
Uh, and Michael Dickman, his idea of misery was House Republicans, which is something <laughs> on a kind of daily basis I experience and empathize with. <laughs> so that was one of my favorites. And um, Erica Meitner for um, for what can't you tolerate? I was thinking about this last night. She says learned helplessness, and I just like I spent some time trying to wrap my head around that. I think that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. I loved the responses that you got. Um, to those questions. And I think that maybe we should listen to a poet. Uh, five of them have been kind enough to send in some recordings. So here is Erica L. Sanchez reading her piece. This is Erica L. Sanchez reading Quinceañera. Quinceañera. Summer boredom flutters its sticky wings. You guzzle cooking wine, gag on the old whiskey you find in the pantry. In the warmth of your bedroom, you pierce your navel with a safety pin, slice the skin you hide beneath your billowy dresses. Glitter-eyed in the murky dance clubs, you snort blow until the dregs trickle down your throat and shock your sluggish heart. You dance in the frenetic lights, the oons oons vibrating in your face and skull until morning. But everywhere, the pain suckles you. Everywhere you hold its slumpy head to your breast like a saint. A fat man in a basement tattoos a scraggly moon on your hip. Anything to smother the soft and constant vertigo. To stitch a spirit so riddled with leeches. Some evenings you brim with the sky's quiet bruising. Colors as beautiful as the spilled brains of a bird. Such a fucked holiness, you think. Weeping, you read Walt Whitman. The blow, the quick loud word, the tight bargain, the crafty lure. You hold a mirror to study your tender socket. May we eat and drink in remembrance of the body. Oh, how the salt sings. One morning you cut your hair slowly, then shear it altogether. Whether that which appears so is so, or is it all flashes and specks. In that slurry of August, the silence climbs you like a man until you hear the meaty flaps of God inside you. That's a really great poem. Um, so how did you choose the poets to be in this collection? It must have been so difficult. It was. It, it, it was. It was almost impossible. And, and I was thinking about it on the train to work the other day, about how even in that you know span of time since we selected until now, how there's probably you know 100 more poems that I've encountered that I thought, oh, that would have been great if I knew about that at that point in time. Um, but I, I think also, you know, and, and Lynn can speak to this as well, is that, you know, we really wanted to represent a, a diverse range of uh, voices and aesthetics and to really provide an opportunity for, um, you know, as many people as possible to encounter something that they identified with in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I also am keeping a file of, um, you know, for for um, our second edition. <laughs> I've got all kinds of poems I'd love to include. Um, and second edition is just hypothetical. But, yeah, I mean, we sort of chose, uh, I think what was interesting about it is there was a lot of poets that we loved that weren't right for this anthology. Like some of our favorite poets, I mean, we're editing with young people in mind. And, I mean, I was thinking about um, an anthology that I came across as a teenager 
um, that was edited by Jen Halper, and it was like, what was it called? Like, Best American Poet, or New American Poetry, or something like that. And um, and I understood maybe, like, 20% of the poems, and they really, like, they really spoke to me. But the rest, I didn't really get, because I just didn't, I, I was very young. You know, I just didn't have the knowledge or the life experience or anything to truly understand those poems. And so in editing this, I felt like we needed to, to find the poems that would speak to young people who are still sort of growing their minds. Um, and so we did have to not include a lot of poets that we love because of that. Yeah. And yeah. at the same time, being aspirational, because, you know, right. some of the best poems, even that I like now, I'm not sure I completely right. understand. <laughs> right. So providing what we thought was like a real balance between subject matter and um, context that could be understandable, but also, you know, something that was strange or wild that might, you know, provoke a feeling that was mysterious and, and you know, uh, have that reader want to read more or try and figure it out or be comfortable in the strangeness of it. Yeah. Um, so it was hard. I mean, we had, you know, our, a great editor at um, Viking Churn November, and she's a YA editor. So, mm-hmm. you know, we brought in a lot of poems, and she told us some of these poems yeah, I believe she told us 20% less fucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a concern. I mean, when and I had these, you know, meetings, we were like, well, can we talk about sex? Can we talk about drugs? You know, how much can we talk about those things? And not because we were really pushing sex, drugs, and rock and roll, which maybe we were. Yeah. <laughs> but we also just thought that was part of you know, for better or for worse, our own teenage experience. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and so we didn't want to sort of take that out and, and say, well, actually, poems are only about clouds, right. you know, or right. or flowers or, you know, these other, not these other issues you might be dealing with. And at the same time, we have poems that are about, you know, weather and things that are sort of more uh, traditional poetry topics. And now, like Brett was saying, like, I, I, we wanted something for everyone in here. And hopefully, like, they'll they'll find their way in through the poem that speaks most to them, and then they'll keep reading. Yeah, yeah I have nothing about poems about clouds. Yeah. 90% of my poems are about clouds. Brett hates clouds. <laughs> <laughs> That's the takeaway here. Yeah, no, clouds are loathsome. Yeah. Um, so let's use this opportunity to segue into another poem, and then I want to talk a little bit more about the, the pieces themselves. So let's hear L. Lamar Wilson read his piece. We do not know her name, L. Lamar Wilson. We do not know her name, L. Lamar Wilson. I do not know her name, but without her, I do not have a name. No name, no face, no place with your people, my people. You have forgotten me, the tawny one like my great-grandmother, like Chief Osceola's wife, morning dew, forgotten the drops of my blood, her blood mixed with his, with yours, how you fought for her honor because we were wronged together. My hero, your Osceola, loved his morning dew, got her brothers, my ancestors, and yours to soak the Florida soil, the Georgia clay, with a richer red. Her seeds, your seeds, legion. Don't remember that now? How we wandered with you along rivers, history reduced to a trail. 
made new homes in Okeechobee swamps, Oklahoma and Mexico deserts, learned Cherokee, French, and Spanish. History's dead now. My grandfather's mother, she's dead too. No name, no face, no place with my people. You. Only a figment of her daughter-in-law's fading memory. Glaucoma and dementia clouding visions of hair that crowned breasts and hips like a halo. You have forgotten me. You have voted me away from the land our blood bought. You don't remember that now either. We do not know our names. So I think that his piece that we just heard um, speaks to kind of the range that you were just talking about. And all the pieces in here are so varied. And I imagine that as you brought in, um, you know, poets with a diversity of voice, that this range kind of happened organically? It ha- I think there was there, it happened in both ways. I think that when you're reading with a certain... Um, with a certain uh, goal in mind, which is uh, to reflect the population. Um, I, I think when you're mindful of that, I think it just sort of naturally comes out that way. Um, but I, but there was some effort on our part um, to discover new poets that maybe we didn't really know or hadn't read enough of so that we could include uh, more people. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, I would say it was definitely a learning experience to, I mean, not just for the people that were included, but just, you know, you're tasked with reading maybe more poems than you would in, on your daily routine and, and reading outside of what my daily routine would be because my daily routine isn't necessarily looking for poems that my teenage self would have identified with. So, I mean, just as a learning experience of, you know, I just had to read so many poets. Um, and also that this book isn't, you know, it, it, it has a different mandate than reading personally. You know, it's to reach a lot more people. So just reading outside my typical aesthetic comfort zone was um, an amazing experience and a real humbling and, and learning experience for me to um, to just remember that you know what's on my what's on my own personal bookshelves isn't only what's happening in in the world of poetry and um, and that there's so many new poets that you know I just hadn't recognized yet or hadn't heard of yet that were discovered through this process. For this me, is, discovered. Yeah. I mean. This is kind of how I hope that every poetry anthology would come <laughs> right. together, right? Or is, or is this like a dream? Like, have you guys entered into some type of sur- surreality? The whole thing does feel like a dream. <laughs> yeah, it's a total, it's a weird dream. And I also think, I mean, to say that I was working with Lynn, you know, to be who, I mean, it was just a great experience to be working mm-hmm. with someone that I've known for so long, but also someone who was going to be, you know, showing me new work that I might not have known or um, having those those discussions was was very different than you know if I would have done it on my own by myself or um, or with someone else um, and so so even just that aspect I mean it's a dream just to have the book come out I mean it really is um, yeah it, the whole thing I can't and on like. I should say too that working with Brett is like is the best. I keep trying to figure out like another project we could do together. It's <laughs> really like this is like the best working experience ever, um, and yeah, it's it's been really great. But I I think that um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, as a whole, like, um, the entire experience, I still can't believe it's actually happening. I mean, even the way, so just to backtrack, the way that the book in some ways came together was that we, you know, through chance I was doing some freelance work on permissions and had to request permission from an aid, you know, who, from an agent. And I met with this agent, and she was interested in poetry. And I mentioned that Lynn and I had this proposal that we had been circulating that, you know, we had heard nothing back from all the places we sent it to. Yeah. And this agent was like, I loved poetry when I was a kid. She knew all of the poets, you know, that one would be a little bit surprised that, you know, a person knew who wasn't a poet or, <laughs> or avidly in the poetry community. Yeah. And she knew exactly the editor to send it to, yeah. who also had a very similar experience as, you know, a teenager into adulthood. So really without these two, this, you know, amazing agent and this other uh, amazing editor, it just, it would have never happened, you know, that they both knew and recognized what the book could be. Um, and I know it wouldn't have happened because we sent it out to a lot of other places. <laughs> yeah, I think a couple of places were like, this is such a great idea, no. Yeah, <laughs> or, or we're like, can you have it be more like hip hop, right. you know, like lyrics and things like that, which is a great book and a different book, but wasn't what we had in mind. Yeah. So let's hear another um, poem before we move forward. Um, this is Danielle Pafunda reading her piece. This is Danielle Pafunda reading Dear Mom and Dad. Dear Mom and Dad, I might as well ask you. Why does everyone come to my window and then ask me to put on a robe or just fuck off? Why does everyone start a band halfway through the hand job and run out to practice? Or, actually, why does everyone have some kind of car they want to tumble into headfirst, slightly concussed and laughing throatily all the way to the ravine? Why do all the boys I love climb up on the trestle that runs over the ravine and slink down to its rusting out catwalks and hold on infantile, lemur-like, with all four limbs, while the trains, only freight trains, rumble over? Why, in the ravine, do I never find anything shinier than a beer can and never get anyone out before the cops come? I think I can die. And then there we are up against a train, and I think, oh, it isn't that easy after all. But I might as well ask you, coated all these years as a boy digger, coated as a kissless dog face. They get so disappointed by my mustache. They get so angry when I make a joke. I am changing the subject. I'm changing the object from comely to homely, from cumsy to a hideous drag, they ask me if they can dig out all my blackheads. They have a hundred rules about how boring I am. I stay up the latest, you know. Out of all of them and all of you, I'm the last one with her lid laid open, a boiling beet sugar stew, pre-dawn premonition boiling over, a nosebleed. Or actually, it's just common sense. You're going to jail. And all of these boys are going to jail. And all of these girls are jailed, and all of these trains are going to jail. And if the trains even have conductors any longer, also jail. And the rest of town is basically jail. And if you get into bed, you get into jail. And then there's the morning. It's a penitentiary for you and yours. Your ugly little scab. That just seems like the perfect poem for this collection. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it must have been really exciting to watch this all come together over, you said, like four years, right? Four years. Um, I think we signed the contract for the book in, um, was it 2012? Maybe. I think it was 2012, so, but we had started working on it in 2011. And, um, yeah, and it was poems like Danielle's that was just, I mean, you can't, if I had read that as a teenager, I would have, like, you know, been so beside myself with joy that it existed um and just so when so finding poems like that is sort of part of the the fun of putting this book together yes and imagining the kid who gets to discover that poem now yeah <laughs> and all and and many of our po- poets are reachable via social media because they're Social media handles are in the back of the book and their bios. I love that idea that if someone was into a poem, they could just reach out and, and tell um, a poet that. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to see if that happens because it was such a different time when yeah. we were teenagers. <laughs> you know, I actually did write letters yeah, to poets as a teenager, which is totally nerdy. But <laughs> now, like, I'm wondering if someone's going to find these poems and be like, oh, I can follow, you know, yeah. Doug Powell on Twitter, yeah. and, and it'll become a different part of their life because that's available now. And, and I sort of really hope that is the case. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens with yeah. that. Yeah, me yeah, too. Me too. Um, so as for the questions, let's hear about some more favorites. Um, any favorites for virtue or natural talent? Oh, so cool. So a lot of people for natural uh, talent... Uh, I think almost like 30%, because I actually counted at one point, <laughs> listed um, singing as okay. what they want, which is really interesting as writers, yeah. you know, because they're so um, concerned with words and, and in some ways, you know, just the word, the silent words on the page. And it, it makes me think that if, if they did, if they could have been singers, that maybe they would have been singers to be able to bring these to life or be invested in words. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people, if it wasn't singing, it was like, some music-related thing, which is which is very interesting because I kind of think of I don't know poets as introverts who want to hide in the corner. Yes, right. <laughs> Maybe that's just us. But um, I think a few people said that their favorite virtue was kindness, which is you know the best. It's the best virtue, kindness. Yeah. So I, I like we have a lot of kind poets. Um, I should also say that like the, the bios in the back of the book with the Q and A's are not complete. It's just a selection of answers. Um, the but the full Q and A's are on the Tumblr uh, that we have, which is yeah. Please excuse this poem Tumblr com. Right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I loved how you guys uh, leaked some of those out in the you know yeah. the past couple of weeks. They were really fun. They're really, I think they're really fun. I mean, of course I do. <laughs> One of the talents is Travis uh, Nichols listed that he wanted to dunk, um, yeah. and as like a very short, not a very short person, a moderately short person. <laughs> An averagely short person <laughs> who got cut from all the teams he tried out for as a teenager. Aww. I thought, yeah, I would have liked to dunk. That could have changed my life. Aww. You know, also just like once, you know, at the park to been like right up top, bam. And I mean, maybe that's a very boyish thing, but, but I identified. It's not. It's, I, I am. You know, I'm. Oh, you're good at basketball. I'm surprisingly good at basketball. <laughs> um, and I am very, very short. So there you go. Well, I hope for each of you that you get to dunk at least once. Yeah. Thank you. At least you. once. <laughs> so who do you hope will have this anthology in their hands? Like if you're on the train and you see a person and you see your book, 
and it'll just bring you to tears. Like, yes, that is the person that I had hoped would find this collection. Um, well, lately everything brings me to tears. <laughs> it would be like anybody holding the book. Um, and that might be true, anybody holding the book. I think um, I really just want to uh, reach as many people as possible. Um, and as many, te- if I saw any teenager holding this book, I would, like, be a, a mess. I just, I want, I, I don't know, I want poetry to seem like a real thing that teenagers can pick up and read. Mm-hmm. Um, and not this like stuffy thing that they have to read. So really, anyone, I don't know. Yeah, I can't visualize a specific person, but I think, you know, I think the book also has a range to be, you know, for teenagers up into college. You know, I think it's actually a book that like freshmen in college, it could be, you know, on a on a curriculum. Um, but it would be nice to see, you know, a fourteen year old oh. kid reading it. Um, I just dropped it downstairs, uh, my 14-year-old neighbor. <laughs> so I would be pretty touched to see her reading it. Yeah. They also purposely did not uh, put on the book uh, anything that identifies it as um, YA so that it um, it can be crossed over so, and, and so college kids can read it and et cetera. I mean, these are all poems that were written by adults uh, originally for adults. So, I mean, clearly adults can read this book. Yeah. Yeah. So let's hear Stephen Burt's poem before I move into my next question. Amaretto Sour, Dragnet at the Nines. Your very own silver tights sag slightly after a kick, and Marta has her eye on Murray Hill. Anonymous space-age bachelor pad extravagance, three-four time, the velvet whirl of scarlet pleats, served cold with orange and sherry or lime. Above the New York Eye and Ear Hospital, the dawn breaks promises. Its coffee turns to cream. The bubble machine steals summer from its balcony and sends the revels or revelers off their pedestals and home in awkward threes through proclamations from the Queen of Queens. Monday we'll see the Cointreau and Grand Marnier at rest on their high shelves, the falsies back in their box, the mirror ball rings and feathery bangles away, and all of us are daylight selves, but now, and for a few sides yet, in pink lipstick and pastel cigarettes, you are the girl for whom such things are done. In jaunty stairs, in rapid Amateur and crowded dips and Spanish pirouettes, you spin because everything does. You will strike poses counterclockwise, reinvent the youth you grieve. Last sliver of ice in a glass, last minute of play. The ninth grade girl who called but never asked you out, or the boy who never gave you the time of day. That is another amazing piece in this collection. Um, I really like that one. So the thing that gets me really excited about this anthology is that I believe that when younger people read it, that they are going to understand that the events of their life, um, the things that they know and have seen and have lived, are important, and that they can use them to reach out and to connect with other people, whether it be art or literature. Um, I just think that it's... It's amazing how you have been able to find so many different pieces that all kind of funnel into the same 
I don't, I don't want to say objective, but the, the same artistic flow. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I think that was um, important. That, that was what I think of primary importance to us, that um, we have poems that will speak to kids um, where they are, um, you know, so that they can relate to. I mean, I feel like finding... Um, you know, as a kid, finding poets that were writing about the things that were important to me was huge. It completely changed um, how I, what I thought of poetry. So if we can do that for some other kid, I mean, that would be incredible. Or even things that they were maybe scared to admit. Right. You know, yeah. of you know events that might be happening in the future or things they identify with that they haven't articulated to themselves yet. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we spent a lot of time discussing all of the poems and then, you know, discussing all the poems as a group and then mm-hmm. the order. Um, yes. So uh, so thank you for saying that. It's <laughs> very kind. Yeah, it's nice to be understood. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm definitely, I've been impressed um, going through this. So I'm hoping that there is another anthology in your future as as the dynamic duo. What would be the the next dream anthology? Well, one thing I'll say that's interesting is in the back of the book, one of the questions we asked was, what was the first poem you fell in love with? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is this kind of what we've been a, what we've called the shadow anthology, is that if you look in the back at what all of these hundred poets um, first fell in love with. There's a whole nother, you know, group of poems to find and read. And those poems tend to be more of the classic poems that one um, typically first encounters. Um, but it's a kind of amazing list. Um, so I sort of feel like we've already made two anthologies, <laughs> one of them secret. Um, but also the other thing that I wanted to say about that, which maybe is a no-brainer, but I didn't realize until we had 100 answers to that question is, that a lot of um, people did first encounter these poems in ver- and remember it in these very specific ways. And it was a teacher or a grandparent um, or a parent who read that read the poem to them or gave them a book. Um, and, you know, obviously I should have thought about that because that was my experience. Um, but it was kind of very touching to see how, how everyone did really remember that moment and how important that moment was on first encountering something they fell in love with and how important it was for that that moment to come from, you know, a loved one or a teacher or a mentor. Yeah. It makes you realize how important um, sort of reading to children is, too, in a way. Because a lot of people first encountered, like, Shel Silverstein or um, who was it who, like, the brown cow or purple cow? Yeah, Ben Lerner. Ben Lerner. <laughs> it's like, you know, the first encounter was his mom reading him this, you know, rhyming kids poem you know and yeah, and he has cow. these two novels that purple are cow, yeah. yeah the purple cow yeah he says can i read what he says sure. says this is ben lerner he says my mom taught me the purple cow when i was very little i loved it and the tragic story of the poet who could never outrun the fame of his nonsense verse no matter how seriously he wanted to be taken <laughs> It makes a lot of sense that the answer um, to that question is almost akin to the natural talent one with singing, is that uh, all the poets in here, they love, they love sound, they love music, they love what language can do when it's you know, at its best. Yes. Yeah. 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 So for our final poem, let's hear Jennifer Chang. This is Jennifer Chang reading Obedience or the Lying Tale. Obedience or the Lying Tale 
I will do everything you tell me, mother. I will charm three gold hairs from the demon's head. I will choke the mouse that gnaws an apple tree's roots and keep its skin for a glove. To the wolf I will be pretty and kind and curtsy his crossing of my path. The forest, vocal even in its somber tread, rages. A slope ends in a pit of foxes, drunk on rotten brambles of berries, and the raccoons ransack a rabbit's unmasked hole. What do they find but a winter's heap of droppings, a stolen nest, the cracked shell of another creature's child? I imagine this is the rabbit way, and I will not stray, mother, into the forest thick, where the trees meet the dark, though I have known misgivings of light as a hot hand that flickers against my neck. The path ends at a river I must cross. I will wait for the ferryman to motion me through. Into the waves he etches with his oar a new story. A silent girl runs away. A silent girl is never safe. I will take his oar in my hand. I will learn the boat's rocking and bring myself back and forth. To be good is the hurricane of caution. I will know indecision's rowing, the water I lap into my lap as he shakes his withered head. Behind me is the forest, before me the field, a loose run of grass. I stay in the river, mother. I study escape. So now I'd like to ask you two a question from the book, if, if I may. Oh. <laughs> so, Lynn, what yep. is your idea of happiness? Oh, I think I probably answered that um, in, on my Q&A, but I don't remember what I said. Today, what is your idea? Yeah, what's today's idea today's of happiness? My idea of happiness is the coffee I'm going to have when we're done with the interview. Um, and also, I mean, honestly, I, I, oh, I hear a cat. Um, <laughs> That's my idea of happiness, <laughs> is my cats. My, you know what it was that I said in my Q&A, which is the absolute truth, is the... Um, is the happiness and health of my loved ones is mm. my idea of happiness. Yeah. If people I love are happy and healthy, then I'm happy. Absolutely. I, that's kind of corny, but true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Brett, what is your least favorite word? Oh, that's tough. I mean, I will say that a lot of poets answered that question with the word moist. Oh, that's a terrible word. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and we had a piece in which we said that, which was copy edited. And, <laughs> and the copy editor said, I think the disdain for moist has been well established. <laughs> and I thought she is absolutely right. <laughs> um, but my least favorite word, um, you know, I'm going to say something really kind of dumb right now, but um, I'm going to say death, which is something yeah. I've been thinking a lot about, primarily in relation to the cat you just heard, because my cats <laughs> are getting older and have been sick, and so I've been thinking a lot about that and then the death of my loved ones, um, and yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a pretty, again, it's a pretty obvious one, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, I, I understand. So do you have any final thoughts or wisdom that you want to impart to our listeners about this anthology, about life, about anything? Um, you have some words of wisdom about life. <laughs> <laughs> no no pressure. No pressure here. I'm trying to make me crack up. <laughs> uh, well, okay. I, 
wisdom. M- mostly just wisdom about um, the anthology. Anything that any parting words or sentiments that you'd like to leave our listeners with as they wait for the release date? I would say don't be scared of poems. Oh, that's you know, totally. don't worry about understanding them. Um, enjoy the parts of them that you enjoy, and it's okay to dislike the parts that you dislike. And you know, if you get beyond that, to begin to think about why you like what you like and why you dislike what you dislike. Um, and I think that's a pretty, yeah. you know, nice place to start from reading the poems in this anthology. Yeah, and and um, uh, get in touch with the poets that you that you admire and seek out um, seek out their books. You know, they've got their books named in the back. You can read more by them. Um, you can follow them online. Um, poets are real, actual people. They're probably Super giving cool. readings in your community. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And poets are rock stars. So, come on. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to thank you two very much for your time today, for creating an anthology that represents the community exactly as it needs to be represented, and for putting these amazing poems in the hands of our younger generation. Thank you so Thank much, Jen. So Thank you. This is Jen Fitzgerald with New Books and Poetry, reminding you to support all the arts, but especially poetry. Poetry.